So it, it is good to be with you again. I was here a few weeks ago, and I know Alex was here, and it's been, a, uh, it's been one of those strange summers. Um, I don't know if you know all the ordeal that Craig has gone through and the driver's family, but Craig's gone. How many times, Abby, how many times has your dad gone up to twice? But he's stayed a lengthy period of time on all those. So, uh, so if you do not know, Craig, Pastor Greg, Craig, is, uh, his dad passed away, and that's why he was going back and forth uh, to Canada to be with his dad. And uh, I just came back from visiting my dad, and it was kind of one of those, hmm, better, better go visit dad while you still have the opportunity to do that. So just a word for all of you that have parents that are getting up there in age, um, be sure that you're spending as much time as you can with them. And then on the flip side of that, parents do the same with your kids. So, so I am here today to talk to you about a single verse. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And some of you already know this. You've been here throughout the summer. So you know that we have just launched a, a new sermon series on the Beatitudes, or what is often called the Beatitudes. Um, we've had this is We've had three ser uh, sermons on this, so this is sermon number four. This is the fourth installment, and so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and we're going to get there uh, real soon. Most people know that uh, what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, or Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in our Bibles. It is a very long sermon. Um, and so uh, that's good for you to know that we're only going to, I'm going to only be preaching on one verse. Jesus preached for three chapters. And so it will not be that long of a sermon today. Uh, the goal is to keep it to 35 minutes, I've been told, which is, uh, yeah, right. Uh -huh. uh, but I will try to keep it within a reasonable time frame. But can you imagine, you know, that just, just put yourself back in those days. You know, Jesus has entered his ministry um, at a very young age for rabbis in those days. He was a little over 30 years old. And he comes and preaches something called the kingdom of heaven. And he starts his ministry by telling the people of the day, hey, I've got something for you. I know you're in the kingdom of Rome or you're in the Roman control of this area, this world. But I'm going to be talking to you, and I want to introduce you to something called the kingdom of heaven. And it's really his kingdom. It is his rule. Uh, it is God's rule here on earth. And he's, he's talking to them about that. And people are mesmerized. People are, are drawn to him like a magnet. And as Jesus continues to talk about this kingdom of heaven, the people are naturally going to want to know more about that. And so crowds begin to follow Jesus. And where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus now has had this massive crowd follow him, and he has gone to the, a hillside, to a mountainside, and there is this massive group of people that want to know more about this kingdom of heaven. And so that's what Jesus is talking about in, the, in this passage uh, called the Beatitudes and then on throughout Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so let me just introduce you to a couple of people that are going to be in this crowd that Jesus has. Obviously, uh, the crowd is made up of Jewish people mainly. There is likely a few Gentiles, but mainly there's going to be the majority of them are going to be Jews. And it's going to be the impoverished. It's going to be the common folks of the day. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm 
just came back from Tennessee, so if I start slipping back into that Tennessee slang, I apologize. I know we're in Chicago. We don't talk like that. But the common folk of the day were, were just the working, average working men and women. You know, it was the farmers. It was those that did business. But then there's this other group of people that are different than the common folk, and that is the religious elitist. It is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones that basically... Uh, control the religious teaching and the religious rules of the day. They're there to hear Jesus because here this young rabbi is talking about things that some of them are like, whoa, 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 I'm not sure that's right. I'm not sure if we agree with what this young rabbi is saying. And then there's Jesus' disciples. And Jesus' disciples now have, have gathered around him. Jesus has gathered his disciples, and they want to know more about what this kingdom is all about, too. I mean, hey, they're one of his followers. They're in the inner circle of Jesus' uh, crowd, and they want to know, okay, so, Master, teach us more about this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that's going to be on earth. Tell us about this. So that's what Jesus is, is doing here. That's who the crowd is. And it's natural for the people of the day to wonder, okay, this kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of Rome, and it's different than the kingdom of David. It's, a di it's different than the Israelite kingdom. So your kingdom, who is worthy to be citizens of this kingdom? That is a natural question. You know, what kind of righteousness and what kind of rules and what kind of uh, expectations are going to be on the citizens of your kingdom? And so he lays that out with clear instruction in these, in these passages. And it's natural for them to, once they start hearing about, okay, this is what it takes to be in my kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. And they naturally will say, well, you're talking about the righteousness that is different. So... What about these guys over here? These are re these religious elitists, these Pharisees and Sadducees. You know, they talk about their righteousness. So will their righteousness, the righteous standard that they have, will that be good enough to enter into your kingdom, master? They're asking themselves that question. And they're asking the master, they're asking Jesus that question too. And they are naturally assuming that, well, if that righteous standard is the standard that we have to attain to be citizens in your kingdom, the average folk wonder, can we ever be citizens in your kingdom? And so that's what Jesus is going to be dealing with here. I love what Martin Luther said uh, about this section of scripture. And I just want to share with you what he says, because Jesus teaches completely different than the rabbis of the day. And this is what he says. This is indeed a fair, sweet, pleasant commencement of Jesus' preaching and teaching. For he does not come like Moses or like one of the teachers of the law of the day with commands and threats and, and, and uh, terrors. But he comes in the most kindly manner with attractions, with allurements, and with the most sweet promises that come from being a part of his kingdom. And you're going to see this, that if you think about the way Moses came down from the mountain that he was on, there was do's and don'ts, thou shalt not and thou shalt. But you don't find those in the Sermon of the Mount. And you don't find the, that kind of teaching in these Beatitudes. 
And I think as we look into what Jesus has seen, not only was it powerful to the people of his day, I think it'll be powerful for each of us as well. So I want to just point out a couple of things here. We need to empathize, and that's my first point. We need to empathize. And empathy is an important thing that we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we need to have. And I want to ask this the simple question, are you truly hungry and thirsty? You know, Jesus has made three statements. And now he simply says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so we need to clarify a few of these words before I can go on and explain anything else. So let me explain, what is this hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about? Well, he's going to take the two most basic needs that everyone has, the desire and the need for food and the need for water, and he's going to take those natural things that we all need, and he's going to take the natural and apply it to the spiritual. That's what he's going to do. So he says this, hunger and thirst, and this hunger and thirst is not like the hunger and thirst that we normally think of. It is not a few things. It's not when our stomach starts growling after we've gone a little, little bit of time without food. And it's not a cotton mouth experience that, we've, that we all have probably had at some point where we've worked real hard and we need a drink of water or we need something cold to drink. It's more than that. It's not just simply missing a meal. You know, a lot of times we say we're hungry and uh, we've had our breakfast at 8 o'clock and now it's, you know, now it's 2 o'clock and we realize we've worked through our lunch. Um, I do that quite often. And we realize, well, wait a minute, I'm hungry. No, this is more than that. Or you may have missed two meals. It's more than that. It's more than just eating later than you plan to eat. More than that. It's more than going without water. For most of us, we have never really faced the kind of hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about here. We've never faced the life-threatening hunger and thirst that many people in the third world face. And uh, some of you have seen these pictures or pictures like this in, uh, on TV. You've seen them display the little children that have gone for weeks and weeks without food. And you can see their ribs, and you can see that they're starving. And then when uh, people come in with food, the desperation that's in their eyes. Um, the next slide shows people that are so hungry and, that they're, and they're so thirsty that they would drink from a muddy... Now, if you look at what that is, that is for cattle. That is for livestock. That is a water trough for animals, and you've got those people drinking out of that. That is how thirsty they are. Most of us will never experience that kind of hunger and that kind of thirst. But that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. What he is talking about and what this does apply, and we all can some, to some point experience the normal uh, things of life where we've gone to uh, a situation where we've missed a meal or maybe we've fasted you know, for some spiritual reason uh, that we need the Lord to come through for us. And we've gone for you know, some period of time without food. We all experience a normal uh, hunger and thirst, but never to the extent that Jesus is talking about here. Um, and this metaphorically, he is going to talk about that kind of desperation for food and for drink, and he's going to apply that to the spiritual realm. 
So let me give you a simple definition of what is this righteousness that we're supposed to be hungering and thirsting for? What you can't see in our English Bible is there's, there's a lot of depth that I'm not going to go into in the original language, but it is the righteousness. He's not talking about a righteousness that Mark has or a righteousness that I have. That's not the standard. It is the righteousness that God has. It is a special kind of righteousness that we are supposed to hunger and thirst for. And he's talking about hungry and thirsting. Um, I'm, I'm debating on whether to tell you the English. It is, it is a present participle. It is an ongoing, present action uh, way of hungering ongoingly. You, you continuously hunger and you continuously thirst for this kind of righteousness. It's also some referred to as the divine passive, where God is the one that is doing the work. And it's, it's, so, so, it's, it's so interesting that it, it is God's standard of righteousness that we're supposed to be going after, not our own or the society or the culture that we live in. It's also this righteousness is having the right standing before God, because one day we will all stand before God. Everybody will. Righteous or unrighteous, we will stand before God one day and we will have to give an account of what our righteousness really is. And this righteousness that he's talking about is having a right standing before God. It is also when we have and we can see God's standards of righteousness being worked out or lived out in a person's life, in the culture, in the world that we live in as God has intended it to be. So this righteousness that he's talking about here has many different kind of facets to it. It's like a diamond. And it's, and it's covering many different areas, both personal and globally, in our lives. Now, I want to contrast what he's talking about there with the Pharisees and Sadducees and what they thought about and taught about righteousness. Because the Pharisees that were in the crowd that day, they had taught the people that righteousness was always external. It could be seen. And it was always an outward manifestation of either obeying uh, the rules and regulations of what the law taught or what they thought they taught, or it was a way of life that they had set up for themselves and for others. For them, righteousness could be measured by the external qualities of how long you prayed, how much money you gave, how long you fasted. You know, they had a standard that was all on the external. And you could look at someone in Jesus' day, and the Pharisees and Sadducees could say, because of the way this person lives, outwardly, we know they're righteous or unrighteous. But the qualities that Jesus is talking about here, and the qualities of Jesus' kingdom are always internal first. They always start with the internal, and then they work their way out externally. Here's the reality. You know, there are many people that, that Jesus is speaking to in this day that they lived in a broken world. They lived in a world that righteousness that God wants wasn't playing out. I mean, they were being oppressed. These Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans every day of their life. They had taxes. We live in Illinois where taxes are incredible. But their taxes were sometimes as much as 30%. And they, they were oppressed. The righteousness that they knew that God expected wasn't existing in their lives. So they knew what it was like. But so do 
so do we. We live in a world, in a culture, that God's standard of righteousness doesn't exist many times. And so Jesus is going to be engaging into that culture. And so the question is, when it comes to hungering and thirsting, why does Jesus empathize with those who are physically hungry and thirsty? Why does he so pour out his compassion, his love, his care on those who are like that? That's a really good question, and I want to give you three reasons. The first one is because Jesus knows that those that are hungry and thirsty in this world more easily see that unrighteousness in the world. When, and I'll, I'm going to explain that a little bit later. And because they experience the physical hunger and thirst and the spiritual hunger and thirst in, in ways that are practical firsthand. Because they're living in a time, in, a, in a, a situation where they're hungry and thirsting. I hear this often, and I don't know if you talk to people that say these kind of things. And, and I can just hear the people of the day or people of our day say this. Well, you say your God is good. Well, if God is so good, then why is there not enough food to feed everyone in this world? Why do people starve? Why are there people starving you know, if you do a little Google, Google search on hunger in the world or starving in this world, you'd be amazed at what the statistics say. There are, there are literally thousands of people dying daily because there's not enough food. And so the, the natural question is in our culture, well, if God is so good, then why isn't there enough food to feed the people of this world? And here's the truth. And it's a hard fact for us to swallow sometimes. There is more food being grown, being produced in this world. There's being enough food and more than enough food to feed this world's population every year. Every year we have an excess of food. And so the question is, well, if we're growing and producing